Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. The NFL is back and the NFL app has you covered. So get ready for football all season long and just tap into the NFL app. NFL, baby, let's make it happen. Just tap in to watch your local and primetime games all season. Now through Super Bowl 56. For the end zone, touchdown! Get up to the minute news, videos, highlights, stats, and more on all your favorite teams and rookies to watch. Welcome to the NFL. Download to your mobile device today at NFL.com slash mobile or in your app store. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply. Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. TikTok is at odds with Lizzo, of all people. Michael Strahan's take on Chris Harrison's apology is something we all need to hear. And we're talking about the hit HBO Max show, It's a Sin, with Shannon Keating. It's March 4th, 2021. friends. I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Safford. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. And Casey, so mm-hmm. personal story here. I haven't told you this, I don't think, all week, but I I have been thinking for days. I've been hungover. You know, on Saturday, <laughs> I, just long story short, I drank a bunch of tequila by myself uh, and, and some champagne and on an empty stomach. And I thought because I had turned a year older, it was because I was hungover for many days because I was getting old. Uh-huh. But then when it hit day four as in today, I was like, something else is wrong. So I called someone that knows about these things. And he said, Zach, it's impossible for you to still be hungover off alcohol. And if you had been drugged, that also would be out of your system. I think you have a stomach bug. And he's correct. I have had a stomach bug this whole week. <laughs> and I oh, thought it was no. a hangover because I described my symptoms to this medical professional. And they're like, no, no, this isn't a hangover. This is like you have like, like a stomach thing. That's <laughs> so anyway, I've been doing this show, living my life, thinking I was hungover and beating myself up over this and beating myself up oh. over being old. And it's really, I'm just, I was sick. There we go. But also, but also entirely relatable. Yeah. Like that's, that's also a sign of age. You don't know if you're hungover or sick. It gets confusing. Yeah. Everything hurts because you're old. So, and, so there we go. There's my story for the day. All right. So to start, let's talk about TikTok. They're being called out after removing bathing suit posts from Lizzo and other curvy women for adult nudity while letting those of skinny users stay online. Some creators say they've been forced to change the type of content they post on the platform out of fear it will be taken down or their accounts will be suspended. They believe that inherent bias within TikTok's algorithm may be the driving force behind it. A spokesperson for TikTok has addressed the issue, stating, Let us be clear. TikTok does not moderate content on the basis of shape, size, or ability, and we continually take steps to strengthen our policies and promote body acceptance. How do I cough bullshit? (laughs) Because (laughs) I... I, I'm sorry. Let's just add one and one together and get two. And sure, it's like, I mean, you know, it is what we were talking about yesterday when you were bringing up the algorithm and Netflix, et cetera, where it's just like, okay, these algorithms are really, really not inclusive. No. 
Let's also go backwards in time to a year or two ago when TikTok got in trouble for taking down LGBTQ content. Yes. Like, no, TikTok, you're constantly taking down content you think is like not appropriate. This is like a long history of what you've been doing. So like, I don't believe you here. I do think there is some obvious bias in the algorithm and how it promotes things. Um, and there's also probably a mixture of people flagging content because they're being fat phobic, which, you know, I, I used to work at Grindr. I've been a part of that. of like a tech company and a content company trying to figure these things out. And what we always found was like, these were users being really mean. And you gotta, you gotta work around that. You stop, gotta stop empowering people to do terrible things. Right, exactly. You can't listen to everyone who flags everything because why are they flagging it? Exactly. Exactly. So. Okay. So moving on, Chris Harrison appeared on Good Morning America to apologize for his remarks regarding Rachel Kirkconnell. It was a somewhat tense interview with Michael Strahan. This is how it started. People, and I'm wondering, why would you defend Rachel Kirkconnell? It was a mistake. I made a mistake. I am an imperfect man. I made a mistake and I own that. Harrison went on to say that he was, quote, saddened and shocked at how insensitive I was in that interview with Rachel Lindsay. I can't believe I didn't speak against antebellum parties, what they stand for. I didn't say it then, and I want to say it now. Those parties are not okay, past, present, future. And I didn't speak from my heart. And that is to say that I stand against all forms of racism, and I am deeply sorry to Rachel Lindsay and to the Black community. After the interview, host Strahan summed up how I think a lot of us are feeling about what Harrison had to say. His apology is his apology, but it felt like it got nothing more than a surface response on any of this. And obviously, he's the man who wants to clearly stay on the show, but only time will tell if there is any meaning behind his words. I am gooped, gagged, dragged, everything right now. Michael Strahan, who was part of the same ABC network owned by Disney, mm-hmm, exactly. came from one of the star hosts of their biggest reality show. We love, we love. I, I love I do like that we're getting to a point where it's like people are over Chris Harrison, you know, and he has created quite an empire. So it would take a lot to really push him out. But I mean, it's true. That was a surface level apology. Anyone that's just like you have to say more than I made a mistake, you know, like these are all this was clearly something that was written for him. And it's just I don't know. You you have to do more than also momentarily replace yourself with a black host. You have to do more. I think, you know, for me, I don't watch the show. I'm not a part of Bachelor Nation, but he has amassed incredible wealth, power, prestige from doing the show. And I think he should just never do it again. That's the solve here. Give someone your platform and walk away. It's fine. Go do something else. Move on. Because that, that apology was very much just him trying to get back on his own show. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. no, I'm sorry. If you secretly still believe these things, which it felt like he, I was hearing that in his voice, we're good. Move on. I'm <laughs> Okay, so today we're talking about a show that's getting a lot of attention. It's a sin, which was brought up a few days ago in a convo about my new book on Tuesday, actually. So the series depicts the HIV AIDS crisis, focusing on a group of friends living in London in the 80s and early 90s, and has become one of the most watched shows in the UK ever. And it's been getting a lot of praise, especially for its casting and the moving performances from the actors. But it's not exactly a perfect representation of the crisis. In fact, it's far from it. The series has been getting a lot of criticism. We're breaking it all down today with BuzzFeed News senior culture writer and editor, Shannon Keating. She wrote the piece, It's a Sin, Simplifies the Reasons Why the AIDS Crisis Was So Devastating. Hi, Shannon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. So, first of all, did you binge watch this series? Oh, yeah, I 
completely binge watch. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you like couldn't, you know, I feel like five episodes. It's like, that's kind of a lot for one sitting, but it's just, it's like, you can see the finish line. So you're like, I just have to do it. I have to do it. You're not going to save one more for the next day. Got to wrap it up. Yeah, no. But I would, I, to be controversial here, I had to take it over two days because mm-hmm. I just had so many feelings. I was like, I, whoa, yeah. too much. And I had to turn on billions as like a assault. <laughs> that, that's like, what you <laughs> turned on in the middle. <laughs> billions. So I was like, I need, I need white capitalism to kind of break this up for me. Really fast. <laughs> Okay, so was there a part of the series that was particularly poignant to you? I mean, to me, I think one of the things that I love the most about watching it was just seeing, you know, like queer people out at a like out and dancing. And, you know, I just think especially now since we've been without queer community in person for going on a year now, that just being able to see that like queer joy and, you know, just like dancing and sex scenes. And it was just like, I thought that those parts were so sweet and so special, not only in our, I mean, in our current context, because I feel like we've been deprived of that, but also in the show's context, because obviously you know what's coming. So I think that those, those scenes felt particularly poignant to me. Yeah, I agree. When I was watching them dance in the bars and go out and have fun and fall in love and fall in lust, I just kept thinking like, wow, I've never seen queer joy shown like this in such like a Did you just do the L word intro? Oh my God, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Which, um, as you all know, I'm deeply passionate about the L word. That's a whole other conversation. So yes, I did do that. But, you know, Shannon, something I love about your piece is that, you know, beyond talking about the queer joy of it all, you also talk about the fact that the show really simplifies why AIDS was so devastating. So can you start by walking us through how you arrived to that and what what you mean by that? Sure. So it becomes clear as you're watching the show, one of the main characters contracts HIV and then continues to sleep with other people, like even though he knows he has it, which I mean, is certainly something that happens. But I think the show really started to become about this idea of either the kind of, you know, the, the careless super spreader or on the other side of the coin, you had another character who ends up um, contracting HIV from a single sexual experience, but who was so, you know, who you thought was like very pure and virginal. So it just, to me, it, it seemed like the show really ended up being about not only kind of personal responsibility, but how internalized homophobia's role in, in the AIDS crisis. And I mean, certainly like we all know internalized homophobia is a thing and it's a powerful thing and, and, and a terrible one. But I think the show by the end, I mean, kind of blames like familial homophobia and like queer self-hatred for the reason that this character just is so reckless with infecting his like other lovers. And to me, that's just, I mean, sure. That's a, that's a story you can tell. And and that's the one that this show did tell. But when I think of the crisis, I don't think very much at all about, you know, how self-hatred led to the spread of the disease. I think about government neglect. I think about corporate greed. I think about all the various systemic issues that, you know, at the time worse in the crisis. And, you know, it's, it's still one that is, is going on today. And I, I think the show also kind of taps into a kind of like AIDS activism nostalgia. That's 
that's perhaps a bit ahistorical. Yeah. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about self-hate in this piece of work that we're seeing now because self-hate is actually something people love talking about. I know we see Mm. the viral moments where like Lindsey Graham, people like to call him Ladybug Graham or whatever that is. But that's very much this idea that we're projecting Mm. self-hate onto this person and they do bad things because they hate themselves. So like, what do you think is like, why is that such a failed storyline for folks? And why do you think that maybe it's not the best queer story we should be focusing on? I think that's, you know, I think that's a great point, Zach. And something that I always get so annoyed about when I see, you know, like people love to say that, love to, you know, call like an anti-gay bigot who's, you know, a secret gay who's secretly full of shame. And that's why he's, and it's just, I mean, not only does that feel like it does a disservice to kind of like the queer joy we saw at the beginning of the show, there's not a lot of agency in shame. And I feel like there, there could have been this great opportunity to really show how people at the time and now took an active role in making their own lives and their community's lives better. It's just, I mean, it's an old story, the story of, of the self-hating queer, of, of queer shame, of, you know, like, I mean, even there's like a very sad scene where one character is trying to hook up with like a straight kid that he grew up with. And it's just very much like you get the idea that this character and you never really grew out of that queer shame. I'm sure that's, that is the reality for a lot of people for sure. But it just, that feels like such a, it's almost like a reduction of someone's life, of someone's identity, but that his gayness seemed to be, and his life really was overall blunted by this shame. And it just, to me, it took up a little bit too much of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll be right back to talk more about it's a sin and what it does and doesn't do right. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. Give us your attention, we need everything you got fast Waiting on reparations, we be the endless podcast Tune in every Thursday, politics and wordplay We fight for the people cause they got us in the worst way From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye From the left enclave to what the neocons say Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation And then break us off with some bread cause we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this season, get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Let's go! See every snap from every game with full game replays. What a throw, what a catch! Listen to all the action as it happens with live game audio. Watch the dog, Jeep! Leaping grab to Adams! Plus, watch your team on your time with condensed game replays. Wow! Get football on your terms with NFL Game Pass. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. Welcome back. We're talking with Shannon Keating about It's a Sin. So in your piece, you write that while familial homophobia did have ruinous effects during the AIDS crisis, the larger parties that should bear some of the blame are corporate greed, governmental neglect, institutional violence. Does It's a Sin address any of those factors in its series, or is there a way it could have done so? 
You know, it does. I mean, we get we get the kind of classic, like you see Thatcher from a distance in the back, you see her kind of like iconic hairdo. Like you do see um like one character gives a speech uh calling out the drug companies and the the characters do participate in a die-in protest at one point. So I mean you do see those factors. They are there for sure. But I think that something that uh Jason Rosenberg, who's a member of ACT UP in New York City, he pointed out that their influencers were sent by HBO Max these jackets that had little act up pins on them. He tweeted that not only was it disappointing that, you know, there's this kind of like corporatization of AIDS activism going on, but at the same time, he pointed out that it seemed as if on the show, like the protest just sort of came out of nowhere, you know, like it just, and I feel like the the show maybe could have tried a little bit harder to really point out that there were organizers and activists who were fighting back and who were making their voices heard because really all you end up really hearing is just kind of these very like insular private family stories, which again are completely legitimate stories to tell. And I don't think necessarily the show needed to be about activism but something about the balance didn't feel right to me i you know i agree with that a a lot because when i was watching it i thought like oh wow they're showing a really one thing they're doing well is they're showing chosen family and they're showing that work really well but they weren't showing for me how like the resiliency within choosing family and how at the time those chosen family members became act up they became these organizations that fought back and this is like a life or death situation. And it felt like the stakes were so situated on like, does my mother love me or not? And that's like, as all us as queer people, we, we hopefully get, have motherly love, but like, that's not the end all be all for all of us. Mm-hmm. And really you, you just end up with some kind of actually like pretty old school AIDS tropes that depict the people who lived and at this point died of AIDS as either victims of their own self-hatred, victims of, you know, a random brush with dangerous gay sex. But I think at the end, really, the characters who do die, because, you know, spoiler, some of these characters are going to die. They really didn't seem to have any of that resiliency that you thought would have been built up from, as you said, Zach, the the chosen families that they found. It just seemed like they didn't have a lot of agency. They didn't have... Yeah, you, and you're right. It really just came about... <laughs> by the end, it was like, does my mother love me? Yeah, it was like, does my mom love me or not? <laughs> it is. It is sad. And it's hard because it's like when you say like, just talking about this agency it's like when you're a victim you don't have agency and then the other option here is mm-hmm. that you're like a villain and it's like that yes, is yeah, that's, that's a narrative only- that's a narrative that we have all seen zach and i were talking about that yesterday like if you're a disney character and queer you're a villain like you know like and so it's like that's a very dangerous narrative to perpetuate mm-hmm. how do you think the series creators like allowed this to happen i think that there's complete legitimacy in showing gray areas of morality and ethics. I mean, to me, in that sense, it does kind of have echoes of all the conversations that we're having now about like COVID shaming and, and harm reduction and what is safe behavior and how, how much can we really expect of the public and individual actions when the government has let us down so significantly. So I do, I do think that there is room to tell these kind of more like complicated personal responsibility stories. But then I think you need to balance it out and say that at the end of the day, 
I wouldn't blame an individual who had a lot of sex for worsening the crisis. You know, like it just seemed yeah. like a like a weird place to land. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think like what you're pointing out there is why the show is hitting with folks so much right now, because while we're watching this piece of art, we're also experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic, which is not the same as HIV AIDS, but it draws a lot of parallels. And one of those is the failure of the state in helping people through a health crisis. So what do you think are some lessons that we should be learning from this work of art or this television show that could help us better understand our current moment of like, the government's really not doing enough for folks that have COVID-19? I mean, I think one one lesson to take away is we should be, I mean, in the show, I thought that the characters of color deserve more attention, just as I think, you know, I think that people of color who have borne the brunt of the devastation of COVID-19 have not been given adequate government attention. I mean, that's kind of a, <laughs> like a clunky connection to make, but I mean, I, I thought that the show didn't do justice to those characters. I think that's something that we didn't see as we, as we were talking about before, but that solidarity and community action, you know, is so crucial. I mean, we've seen now, I think that like the role of, of so many volunteer groups who have been going toward a door and, and getting people vaccinated, getting elderly people and people who don't speak English or who are otherwise, or who do not have access to technology uh, I think that those are the stories that really resonate with me because I think it shows that in the face of government neglect, like, you know, people power can get stuff done. So I think that that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when Stephen LeConte returns for another episode of DM911. And remember... Algorithms can be biased too. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer that bears its name. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go to the woods. Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, and I'm doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. Listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. 
Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.